Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. We are back. I am back from vacation, and we got a good episode for you guys. It is the six statistics that have defined the relative misery of this Knicks season so far. Alex, what are we getting into? Yeah, we're getting into some concerning stats, some R.J. Barrett stuff, some Mitchell Robinson stuff, some lineup data and things of that nature, some stuff about the shooters or lack thereof, some Obi Toppin stats, all kinds of stuff. Uh, not really any of it great. <laughs> so that's all coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and we wanted to thank you as always for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. Remember to tell a friend as well, and we're now available on all platforms, including, and you know this if you see our relatively handsome faces on youtube i am gavin shawl oh but before i even say that i should say the fantastic sponsor of this show this episode is brought to you by truebill truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you don't want or need and can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep alex it's a good thing i caught myself there or i would have been forced to pay the sponsorship deal for this for this podcast because i would have been I would have been sponsoring this episode of Locked on Knicks, and I just I just can't afford that. So I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the greatest Knicks website out there, the Strickland, and uh, together we are the super team that they call Locked on Knicks. Um, and Alex, we, we, we mentioned it in the pre-show. We have a fun concept for everyone today. The stats that have defined this Knicks season, so I will throw it to you right off the bat. What is your first stat that has defined the Knicks struggles this season? Oh, baby. All right. Well, so with this first one, I wanted to see if what I was seeing was confirmed in the numbers. And I, so like anecdotally this year, the one thing that I've noticed is that the the Knicks are, and I mean, I guess this is not anecdotal. Anybody with the eyes can see it. The Knicks are not running enough. They're not hitting transition enough, especially not the starters. And it's leading to the, a lot of missed opportunities. But I want to see just how good they were in both those facets too, the half-court game and uh, running in transition. And the results were pretty staggering. Like, So per cleaning the glass is what I used to get these stats. The Knicks are 12th highest in, per- in the league in percentage of plays in the half-court at 80.6%. They are 19th in points per play in the half court. So bottom, almost the bottom third of the league in points per play in the half court at 0.921. Now, conversely, they are fifth in points per play in transition at 1.314. And they're 22nd in frequency uh, as far as the transition game at 14.1%, meaning 14.1% of their uh, possessions are in transition and 80.6% are in the half court. I'm not a hundred percent certain where the extra 5% goes there. Um, if that's maybe 
uh, I, maybe they count free throws towards it or something like that. Maybe the free throws are the remaining 5% there or something along those lines. But I mean, it, no matter what, it underscores this problem that the Knicks don't run enough, even though they're really good at it. Like I said, they're fifth in the entire NBA in points per play and transition, which has, I think, a lot to do with a certain player I'm going to highlight in a little bit. Um, but like they just insist, especially with the starting lineup on grinding to a halt every time that they come down the floor, when you have some pretty good transition players, like Fournier, I think has shown some good ability in transition this year to get out ahead of the pack and finish in, in traffic and things like that. Um, RJ Barrett obviously is great in transition. You know, we've seen him for a while now, Mitchell Robinson in theory would be good in transition, but he's definitely been pretty slow this year, which I know you're going to get into in a minute, but I just think that the Knicks need to commit to getting out in transition more and trying to generate good shots that way, because clearly when they do, it's working for them, but they kind of just have made this conscious decision. Even now with Kemba Walker bench, you know, I thought that maybe we'd see the Knicks running more with Kemba bench, but I, I don't think I don't have numbers from just the last like three games, but I do not feel like they're running more now um, with, you know, Kemba out of the lineup than they were with him in the lineup, just based off watching the games. It seems like they're still determined to just kind of slow it down every play. And worse yet, they've been doing a lot of isolation in those half-court sets, so they're not even generating particularly good looks that way. So my hope is that the Knicks can find a way to start embracing transition a little more going forward. Yeah, so that that feeds well into my first stat. So according to Cleaning the Glass, all four of and this this was uh, in in Macri's newsletter this week. So shout out to Knicks Film School as always. All four of Julius Randle, Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, and Mitchell Robinson rank in the bottom twentieth percentile of the league in on-off differential for frequency of transition plays. So what that tells you is the starters do not run a lot, and they particularly do not run a lot relative to the bench guys. And to some extent, there's there's good reason for that, right? Because Outside of Julius Randle, they are not very good at it. Julius Randle is in the 79th percentile in the NBA in points per play in transition. Um, Evan Fournier is in the 41st percentile. Uh, RJ Barrett is in the 13th. Mitchell Robinson is in the 12th. Kemba Walker is in the 6th. Um, or that might actually, that might just be relative to guys on the Knicks, but it just, just relative to guys on the team, the all the starters don't get out very often. And outside of Randall, they're not very good when they do get out and run. And that's why to me, it was so exciting what we saw from Julius um, in the, in the Nuggets game, a little bit in the Bulls game, I think a bit against the Nets too. He started playing with more pace and not, not necessarily defensively. There were still some struggles in terms of that, but we saw him come out as a pseudo point guard and push the ball and create buckets that way. Like whether it was like a little dribble handoff to RJ or just making a really quick cross court pass to Fournier. And for a Knicks team that, to your point, has not been very good in the half court this year, they need to leverage all those pseudo transition opportunities. And it's what you see from Emmanuel quickly every time he's in the game. He is sprinting up the court and creating chances where there otherwise wouldn't be any. Yeah. And, and you know, it's really like Obi Toppin, too, is constantly running out like yeah. a wide receiver. It's funny that you brought up the distance traveled numbers, too. <laughs> I didn't look up like individual players to see how that went because I was trying to just prove a point with the whole team. But I, I was going to look up the entire team numbers and put them in here. But honestly, it just didn't uh, quite frankly, you know, you look for stats to support your point. It didn't support my point because the Knicks actually are like top 12. I think it was, I looked up their like total distance traveled and I, 
<laughs> now I'm kind of curious. I might do this like going into next show or something. I'm really curious to just look it up and see like is Obi Toppin literally and and like quickly and maybe like Rose literally yeah. accounting for like two thirds of the Knicks' distance traveled because they're according to like NBA stats, their distance traveled. They're actually in defensive distance traveled. They're almost near the top, which really surprised me because I don't feel like that bears out when you watch the team but maybe it's just them all constantly scrambling to get to shooters that they end up having to cover more ground but uh you know it, with with that they're super high and with the offensive you know amount traveled too they're actually i think they're like top 15 so they're in like the top half of the league um but so much of that has to come from the bench and like i i just feel like there's been this weird thing too where the bench and the the starters just can't seem to find a consistent way to play between the two units and that doesn't do anything to help the Tibbs's sort of mentality of this like platoon shift you know of of not really mixing those two units very much so hopefully if the starters could start embracing transition a little more which has clearly worked so well for the bench then maybe we could start seeing a little more commingling of the two units too and then maybe find some better combinations to work with going forward. Yeah, this is a point I heard uh, Fred Katz, the athletic beat writer, make on the Bank Shot podcast. But it, it's sort of underrated that everyone talks about the Knicks' lack of transition, but they don't really talk about the lack of movement in the half court. And that that's an area where Obi Toppin is just fantastic, right? We, we saw him have that great backdoor cut that he, he took from Derrick Rose, got a reverse layup off of it. I think that was in the Bulls game, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but outside of that there's just there's just not a lot there and and Randall I mean give him credit especially in that Nets game he he was picking the Nets apart just by hitting shooters cross court again and again and again and that game the Knicks had some good subtle movement but it was really all derived because Randall was consistently drawing double teams and I, I think Julius is such a weapon as a high post passer the best way to leverage that is to play him with a lot of guys who will move off the ball which is a further argument for him and Obi Toppin getting more minutes together um, because right now there just aren't a lot of other guys on the Knicks who are particularly invested as backdoor cutters. To me, that's that's an obvious area that R.J. Barrett can be a little bit more active in to get going. Um, certainly something we will talk about down the road. But Alex, unless you have any final points on this, uh, you want to tell us a little about Truebill? Yeah, I can absolutely tell everybody about Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let... Greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscription. Subscriptions, I should say. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. I mean, for example, I've I've found myself, I fall a little bit into the trap of having too many video services, more than I could ever possibly watch. You know, I've got my basic Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, of course. I can't live without that one. But there's some that I picked up that I just, quite frankly, don't use that often. And as a result, you know, Truebill has helped me kind of trim the fat a little bit and maybe take into account of, hey, you haven't watched this in like six months. Maybe you ought to just cut it. Truebill has over 2 million users and they've helped save them over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at truebill.com slash locked on MBA. Go right now. Truebill.com slash locked on MBA. 
it could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. And don't let the stress of daily life and all those subscriptions weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets the source of pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out, and the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Guys, I used to have a Theragun, but unfortunately, I had a breakup <laughs> a couple months ago. And you know, it's not quite a divorce, but it's almost similar to divorce in how you start dividing assets. And I, I got, I got, a, I got a great blender out of it, but I lost my Theragun, and I have not felt the same since. I've been sore, I've been in pain, so I'm considering buying one myself because Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me. So try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to Therabody.com/lockdown right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash locked on, therabody.com slash locked on. And we are back on Locked On Knicks. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we're now on all platforms, including YouTube. Alex, uh, I'll throw it right back to you. What, what's your second stat that has uh, characterized the misery of this Knicks season so far? Yeah, you know, I had one about shooting, but I'm going to save that for the next one. Because you know what? I got going on an Obi Toppin roll on the last one a little bit, or at least implying that Obi Toppin is a uh, a huge plus for this team. And so my negative stat, which then I will explain why it's negative with a bunch of positive stats, uh, Obi is only getting, through 23 games, 15.3 minutes per game. Womp, womp. That is my bad stat. Super simple, but uh, it's sort of undercut by, you know, the – incredible amount of good he does in those 15 minutes per game and why we should probably see him out there for more. So per 36, he is averaging 18.8 points uh, per 36 minutes, of course, 18.8 points, 8.7 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 1.5 blocks and 0.9 steals. He has the highest on off on the team at plus 13.5. That stat, I believe I pulled from NBA stats. Uh, he has the highest pace rating of anyone in the rotation at 99.01, meaning that's like the number of possessions per 48 minutes that the, the player is involved in. And then he also shows up in four of the Knicks' top seven five-man lineups in net rating that have played at least 15 minutes this year. And I, when I changed that criteria to played at least 30 minutes together, I think he was in the top four period. Uh, so simply put, like the Knicks need to find Obi Toppin more playing time. It, it might literally be one of those things that can swing the season one way or another. Um, it, it would likely involve him and Randall playing together because there's no denying for all the struggles that Randall's had. He's still been the Knicks best player this year, without a doubt. And, you know, it, you need to still play him his probably 35 to 38 minutes a game for this team to have a chance most nights. So that means you're going to have to start learning how to play those two together more. And I, I don't think it's that far-fetched. You know, I've I've expressed some doubt. You've expressed some doubt. We've all expressed some doubt over over the last year and change about whether Obi can play as a small ball center. Um, 
I think more what we're seeing lately is that Randall sort of takes on that assignment, which I think is better. Uh, and then that allows Obi to still sort of be like the stretch four, um, but also provide energy plays, blocks, steals, that sort of thing, and potentially cover faster, more slightly like perimeter oriented bigs. So I, I think that's just, that's pretty simply put it, you know, for me with that stat, like Obi's got to start playing more. Tibbs has to find a way to make it happen because much like he saw a trend with Kemba Walker and saw, okay, this player is out here and he's been a negative for us and the stats say it and the eye test says it. Uh, Obi has been overwhelmingly a positive and the stats say it, the eye test says it, and yet the minutes don't say that he's getting the amount of minutes that he should get for how good he's been. So that's my yeah. second I, concerning stat. I know, and I think it's I think it's to the point we were just making last segment, right? Obi is like the next single best mover off the ball on the team. Randall's the single best passer, especially picking out cutters off the ball like that they're, they're just a, a fit made in heaven especially with the increased pace that randall has played with recently this is like a, a weird theory that i don't think will actually happen but we, we've seen some speculation that the knicks could still be interested in getting miles turner especially with mitchell robinson continuing to not be close to 100 percent. i wonder if you got someone like turner if there would be a scenario where you could play all three of those guys together and maybe even have like one of randall or ob guard small forwards which i know is something we talked about in the preseason you have turner spacing out to the perimeter you have ob rolling to the rim randall can also play on the perimeter you're super big super long defensively i don't know just just something i throw out there because tibbs just i mean and and uh, this is another thing Fred Katz, like a nugget he dropped in that podcast. He said, like, look, Tibbs is just fundamentally uncomfortable playing those two together for defensive reasons. And I, I just, I, I maybe, maybe things get really bad, that changes. But right now it just seems like that is against Tibbs's ethos of 48 minutes of rim protection. So my second stat is, is a number of stats on RJ Barrett and his struggles. So all these struggles started after that, or rather in the, in the last game of that uh, five straight 20 point outings that RJ had, where everyone was saying, all right, it looks like it's inevitable. He's going to be a star. But since November 5th, so exactly a month ago of the time of this recording, he is averaging 11 points per game, six assists, two assists on six rebounds, sorry, two assists on 33% from the field, 23% from three, 69% from the foul line. He is in the sixth percentile in the NBA in points per shot attempt per cleaning the glass over that run. Um, he has particularly struggled from corner threes, an area where if everyone, I'm sure everyone just remembers, um, he was pretty much automatic last year. Fred Katz noted this. He was 0 for 10 from the left corner since this slump began on November 5th, 4 for 23 overall on corner threes since that stretch began. A great Macri stat. He is 15 of his last 58 from deep. That is, that is starting from November 7th. That is... Drumroll, please. The worst three-point conversion rate of the 119 players who have attempted at least 53s in that time span. And Alex, we actually got a quote from Tibbs on this the other day. He said, it's similar to last year. I have a lot of confidence in him being able to work his way out of it when you throw in that he's sick. And to me, you get rhythm when you work. Last year, he got going when he started coming in every night to shoot. So there's no notion that you do it. Sometimes you got to do it all the time. So get back in the gym, get back to grooving your shot, shoot a lot of threes, and you'll start making more so continuing to be a fascinating situation rj barrett there's some speculation that he could maybe temporarily be moved to the bench what is your take on all of this yeah it was funny you you put the uh in our notes the the note about how tibbs like walked it all back to today and that's a bit, yeah huge bs from tibbs i mean he obviously he said what he said you know he, he was trying to imply that rj has not been getting in the gym uh, to work on a shot. And I think maybe it was a motivation tactic, but then Tibbs, maybe, maybe Leon told him to walk it back or something. Like, I don't know. 
but he very clearly he's like, no, 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 I just meant because he was sick. I was like, eh, no, I don't know about that. I mean, he straight up said, like, yeah, it, not, seems like, it seems like you're pretty pissed with him. Yeah, okay. You kind of said, like, you know, uh, you get in a rhythm when you work, you know, like, uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, my, my general take on it, I think he'll eventually break out of it. I mean, the sickness was only for like two games, so that doesn't even begin to explain all the stuff for the month prior. Um, but we've, I guess, on the bright side, which, I mean, I was hoping that these sort of days were behind us. We've seen this happen, like, at least twice now with him. Um, he had a, a pretty long stretch, if I recall correctly, his rookie season where he really struggled shooting and then sort of found it out towards the end of the year. Last year, of course, we've talked about, and I, I think I even brought this up on on uh, yesterday's pod about, like, that last year he had a 26-game, 20, 27-game stretch, something like that, where – he shot all of, you know, 30% from three over the first month and change of the season and then figured it out after that and shot the lights out and wound up shooting over 40% for the season. So maybe it's just sort of a finding his way on offense thing. Maybe now, I mean, he hasn't gotten to reap the benefits of Kemba not being in the starting lineup yet and things being kind of back to normal. We saw him take a lot of attempts in the last game and the Nuggets game and just not make a lot of them in his return, but the looks were good. They were basically wide open and, Unfortunately, he went one of seven, I think, was the total number on that. Maybe you could write that off to Rust from being sick and all that, but that was only for a couple of days. Maybe he's also not feeling 100% yet. I I won't start worrying unless we get to, like, game 35, 40, like, pushing towards half the season, and there hasn't been at least some gradual improvement yet because uh, that would start taking it from, is this a streak, to is this just the norm for this season? Like, is he going to be a cold shooter normally with hot streaks or is he going to be a hot shooter normally with cold streaks? And that's the, that's the big difference here. I'm hoping that the cold streak ends soon and it becomes, you know, a, a one-off thing rather than a trend and then just sort of the reality. But I guess we'll see, but I, I can't really see a world where his shot has just completely disappeared after looking so good last year. Um, but I guess I can't fully rule it out either when he's been as bad as he's been for the last month. So hopefully whatever the case may be, he starts figuring it out soon here. Uh, but I'm going to take a quick moment before we get into our final couple stats here to let everybody know that today's episode is brought to you by Boost Mobile. You listen to, you listen to podcasts for the power of knowledge. You switch to Boost Mobile for the power of saving money. Because with Boost, you can get the power of a free 5G phone so you can listen to all the latest episodes of Locked on Knicks. The power of three unlimited data lines for 30 bucks a month per line so your family can harness all that brain power too. And the power of one of America's largest 5G networks so you can do it all at the speed of 5G. With all the money you'll save and all the knowledge you'll gain, how powerful will you become? Switch to Boost Mobile and find out. You'll have all of the Knicks stats in your brain. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A32 5G when you switch to one of America's largest 5G networks. More power to save. Boost Mobile. Disclaimer, free phone limited to new customers and one per line. Additional restrictions reply. Offers and coverage not available everywhere for all the phones and networks. See BoostMobile.com for details. All right. And we're back in to Locked On Knicks. Going over our concerning statistics. Gavin, we've made it to the finale. Uh, for our concerning stats here, we've talked about uh, we've talked about RJ. We've talked about some of the the 
team-wide struggles, and you've got one last player to uh, pick a nit with here at the end. So what is your final stat that is worrisome to you through this first 23 games of the season? And it, it is a painful one because he is uh, one of my all-time favorite Knicks, but it is one of both of our favorites. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were locked on Mitch at one point, so that should give it away. It's, it's mm-hmm. uh, Mitchell Robinson. I first saw him like Schwinn make a note of this on Twitter, but I dove a little bit deeper, just, just the difference in his activity stats from a year ago. So last year he in playing slightly more minutes per game, but not, not much. He was at five box out, five box outs per game that led the NBA. This year, he is down to 3.1 box outs per game, which I will note is still seventh in the NBA, but but that's a pretty significant drop-off. For, for those of you who aren't math majors, 40% less box outs per game this year. Um, and, and that was clearly a defining quality in his game. And the thing is, that translated into much better rebounding for the Knicks, particularly on the offensive end of the floor. Last season, the Knicks were a 98th percentile offensive rebounding team in the league when Mitch was on the court and they were 7% better when Mitch was on the court than when he was off the court, his second season, in the NBA. So two seasons ago, they were in the 90th percentile in terms of offensive rebounding and 4% better when he was on the court this year, they're all the way down to 56th percentile when he's on the court and only 0.4% better when he's on the court. The other activity stat that really stood out. And I think I, I noted something about this earlier in the season, um, his steal percentage in his first three years in the NBA, never below 80, the 82nd percentile in the league. This year, he's all the way down to the 15th percentile. So, Alex, um, all that backs up what we are seeing via our own eyes. Um, I can barely see, but I can still I can see enough for that. Um, he is just not the same athlete, and he's not moving the same way. And I thought that was really highlighted um, watching him struggle to get out on Nikola Vucevic. And in, in some ways, I thought, I mean, especially the second half, it was Mitch's best play of the entire season, and, and he was playing with passion and energy. And yet, physically, like, he just couldn't do it. Yeah, it's... It's a little concerning. He's another guy that I'm willing to give some more time. And I mean, I've, I've had some like discussions with Schwinn and others about Mitch. Like we've had in like the Strickland discord, for example, we've, we had a, we've had like a three day long discussion going on about Mitch and you know, what to be concerned with this, that, the other. And, you know, I think, I think some people, you know, like Schwinn are, are ready to kind of get out on him. I'm not totally there yet. I mean, I don't think Schwinn's like totally out on him, but I think that he's just kind of like fed up at this point with what we've seen. I I just think I need to see at least another like 10 games or so before I'm ready to like fully say that he's lost his athleticism and all that because he has been working his way back from a fairly significant injury. I do think that whether it was him or a trainer he hired or if the team allowed it to happen or what, he got bad advice on how to how to build his body up during this off season. You know, I don't think that he should have looked to add as much weight as he did, um, you know, via muscle and, and some of it, I mean, he honestly just kind of looks a little, little doughier than he ever has before. And it's, it's starting to melt off. You can sort of see it like live in games. He doesn't look quite as, quite as big as he did to start the season, but I think that he's just sort of like working off some of this extra weight that he put on in the off season. And that does take time, you know, regardless of if you're an NBA athlete or not, now, maybe he has to put in some more effort to, you know, working that off when he's not in game action. And that's a whole other thing. But I'm willing to give him a little longer. But the, the big thing to me, it, you know, more so than, OK, yeah, the block percentage is down a little bit. I'm sure his, you know, his overall like dunks and whatever are probably down. All that all those athleticism type things are definitely down. The thing 
that you just highlighted that is kind of concerning though is that that last stat kind of stood out to me that the Knicks are 56 percentile um, in offensive rebounding when he's on the court and only 0.4 percent better. The 0.4 percent better is really concerning because who is out there when Mitch isn't out there? You know, it's like what Nerlens Noel. You know, like older Taj Gibson, which I guess that sort of accounts for some of it because Taj is just a great rebounder overall. But Noel has had a good amount of minutes. Taj has been hurt for a decent amount. You know, then you've got what Jericho Sims, a rookie. I mean, is he he's really outdoing Mitch by that much? That's kind of concerning. Um, and then of course the aforementioned Obi Toppin and Julius Randle front court. You know, it's. It, it just it's it's not great. Um, it is starting to get almost to a point of concern for me with Mitch, but I'm I'm still just kind of willing to wait and hold out hope that hopefully he'll he'll continue getting in better shape, which will then lead to him being better on the court. But I, I'm not quite there with pushing the panic button yet, but I'm I'm getting closer. Um, and, and it'll take a little longer. Like I'll need to start seeing. I, I think we'll just need to start seeing some more like incremental improvements sooner, else it is going to start being kind of a worrisome thing. Yeah, I'm 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 with you 100. percent And I think I it's I think it's going to take him sitting for a bit, and maybe that takes that takes Nerlens getting healthy, that takes Taj, I mean, continuing to be available. But I, I think I think at some point he's just going to have to shut it down for a few weeks. But Alex, we have one final stat left. It's all yours. Uh, what are we talking about? Yeah, this one's pretty simple. Uh, I didn't go to the advanced stats or anything. No lineup data, none of that. It's uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, last year, the Knicks had six rotation players that shot 38.9% or better from three. They had Randall, RJ, Quickly, Rose, Burks, and Bullock. This year, they only have three players shooting that mark or higher that are in the rotation, I should qualify. Uh, Derek Rose, Evan Fournier, and Alec Burks. Kemba Walker also was shooting over 40%, but he's now out of the rotation. And Quentin Grimes is also shooting 40% or better, but he's just not there yet with playing time. I mean, he's only played in so many games at this point. And, you know, overall, he's averaging like six minutes a game or something like that in the games that he has played. So uh, just not enough there to to count him towards that number. So I think it just kind of undercuts how huge the team-wide slump has been. You know, like Randall is at 32.2%. RJ is at 31%. IQ is at 35.5%. Those are obviously your three big guys that kind of stand out as guys that are different from last year's list, right? Because Rose is still at about 38%, you know, and he was like over 40% last year on the Knicks. Burks is shooting like an obscene like 44% from three right now and shot over 40% last year. And then Fournier slots in there for Bullock, and Bullock was over 40% last year. Fournier is at like 39% this year. So it's really those big three guys, Julius, RJ, IQ, all have seen their percentages go down. And luckily, IQ's is going up. Unfortunately, Julius and RJ's, probably the two most important players on the team, are going down. And so, I mean, some of it can be attributed maybe to quality of looks, but like... I just think that I think in general, they, they just are not shooting well. And I couldn't tell you why. I don't know if it's I expected some regression from last year, thanks to like no more empty gyms and stuff like that. You know, sure. Regression is to be expected a bit. But I think what's going on with Julius and RJ right now kind of goes beyond just regression and is starting to become sort of a concern where it's like, what kind of looks are these guys getting? 
And why are they not converting on any of them? And if you look at RJ's stats, like he's getting a large amount of wide open threes and is still breaking them. And that's really concerning for a guy, you know, as you noted, that was like pretty much automatic from like the corners last year. And you could say sort of the same thing for Julius, except for, you know, he's missing a lot of these pull-up looks that he was getting last year. But then even on spot-up threes now, he's starting to kind of struggle. So I think the Knicks really need to start figuring something. And IQ really just needs to find consistency. We're talking about IQ too. Because it seems like he'll go, you know, four for five one game and then 0 for seven in the next. And that's why his percentage is down so much this year. So I think the Knicks just really need to find some consistency. And that's that should be a really big sticking point for them. And maybe Tibbs is right. You know, maybe what he said about RJ is kind of applying to the whole team because I can remember last year seeing so many photos, you know, tweeted out from like beat reporters after games being like, oh, look who's back for work. It's like Emmanuel Quickly's back out for some more shots. RJ Barrett's back out there for some more shots, you know, whatever, after every single game practically. And I feel like we're not seeing that as much this year. So I, I hope that this isn't, as Tibbs said about RJ, a product of like complacency and these guys kind of deciding that they're above daily practicing on their shot and stuff like that at this point. Yeah, I think with Randall, I mean, we we probably should have anticipated this a little bit more. Like as I was was want to note to probably everyone's annoyance that Randall had like never shot above or had 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 one season above thirty percent from three before last year. So it sort of makes sense that he wasn't who he was last season, which was just like flat out like one of the best three point shooters in the NBA. And in the preseason, I think you and I were both sort of of the opinion, like, yeah, he's going to get a little bit worse. But, you know, with Kemba constantly breaking down defenses, sucking in two, three defenders, he's going to be getting so many more open shots that things will just be that much easier. And it'll it'll kind of even out. And and obviously that didn't come to fruition with Kemba. Um, Fournier hasn't been quite the creator that I hoped he would be. And Mitchell Robinson hasn't been quite the vertical threat around the rim that we hoped he would be. So I think all that stuff kind of accumulates and it makes things slightly difficult, slightly more difficult for Julius. You combine that with the inevitable regression. I think his numbers sort of make sense and, and it, it, it will get or should get a little bit better. But I wouldn't be shocked if it doesn't get that much better than this. RJ is like a, a different story. Just to your point, he's getting basically the same shots he got last season. And, and, and defenses at this point really aren't paying much attention to him in the corners, aren't giving him a lot of fear. I'll just say what I said earlier in the show. I just think he's so in his head at this point. You can see he's sort of thinking about his shot. And last year, like, I mean, to Tibbs's point, when he put in that work, it, it just made things automatic, right? It, it was it was thoughtless. It was effortless. And, and that's when he was really stroking. That's when he's playing really, really well. So I, I kind of agree with Tibbs. I think it's just all about the work for RJ Barrett. Quickly, I'm not worried about in the slightest. I think he's a guy who takes like just high degree of difficulty threes and he's still adjusting to playing more minutes than he ever has in his career. Like I, I just, I, I heard a stat the other day, like he's leading the Knicks in fourth quarter minutes this year. Like, I, I think that's just a different toll than what he had last season. I think once he adjusts to that, he's, he's going to be just fine. Yeah. I could see a world where all three of those things potentially happen. I, I think that Julius will come around at a certain point with the shot. I think we're slowly, but surely seeing like his whole game sort of come back to him after that, offensive slump that he just went through recently where I think he's sort of focusing on let me get inside the arc figured out first he's using his body more to create space and finish around the rim you know draw fouls that's sort of when the refs decide to actually call them that sort of thing um and I think these and you know he's sort of reclaiming his mid-range game a little bit and I think as as time goes on he's gonna try to reclaim his three-point game a bit too RJ it's it's perplexing but hopefully once you know like you said once he starts if he's not putting in the work every single night, then like hopefully once he starts doing that and starts putting up tons of practice jumpers again, things will come easier for him. And quickly, I think we've sort of just seen an upward curve with him. 
in general, I think for him, it's just going to be finding that consistency to be able to hit those high degree of difficulty shots consistently. But uh, Gavin, I think I think that's a good stopping point for the show. Enough talking about the melancholy. Hopefully the Knicks can just kind of shut us up and get a win tonight um, and maybe get a little streak going because there is a very important stretch of games coming up now through next month where it's basically going to be their last stretch of pretty winnable games uh, leading up to the halfway point of the season. So we'll have pods on all that. We'll have a, a, a game recap pod for you all tomorrow. Uh, but until next time, this has been Locked On Knicks, and these were our concerning stats. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, check us out on YouTube. Make sure to drop a subscribe and a like, even if you don't plan on watching our faces. If you want to still just listen to our voices, that helps us out a ton. Uh, but thank you all for listening. We will talk to you all tomorrow. Peace out.